0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's word. And now, here's David. Welcome to this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty, and I'm delighted to have you joining with me as today... We start a new series that I've entitled Building Blocks. But before I get to that, I want to remind those who may be listening that I don't think it is too late to register for the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference. that's coming up in Knoxville, Tennessee on the 6th, I believe it is, 6th, 7th, 8th uh, of October. And would encourage you to attend the conference. And if you're there, stop by the God, Law, and Liberty booth or table that I'll have. Would love to meet some of those who listen, get to know you a little bit, maybe you have questions for me, I can answer. Maybe there are things I can learn from you that that you have uh, been thinking about over the course of the last series on restoring the ruins and would love to have an opportunity to interact with you there. Now I want to say about the series that we're beginning. Today's episode I'm taking right off of the headlines from foxnews.com on Wednesday, September the 28th. And it's an article, the headline of which reads as follows, Virginia Governor Yunkin on track to restore parental rights against woke education bureaucrats. Now, if you're a parent or you're a grandparent who cares about your grandchildren and, and your children being able to raise them according to your beliefs and your values. Well, uh, this should sound delightful that a governor is on track to restore parental rights. You may be thinking, boy, I wish my state could do that as well. But I want to take a closer look at this and suggest to you as the first block in our building blocks that Governor Yunkin is doing absolutely no such thing. Now, let me explain that. Not, not to be critical of Governor Yunkin, not to uh, diminish the value of what he thinks he wants to do, but, but he's not doing it. In, in fact, I suspect that in some ways he's undermining parental rights and doesn't even know it. So l- let me tell you what the article says, that in 2021, Yunkin ran on a platform of restoring parental rights in Virginia. It sounds almost unbelievable he'd have to do this, but the previous administration, along with several school districts in the Commonwealth, were determined to sacrifice those rights at the altar of far-left ideologies that are harmful to the mental, emotional, and physical well-being of children. And so it says that as soon as he got elected, he started fulfilling his campaign promises. He issued an executive order, allowing parents to decide if their children needed to wear a mask at school. It was followed up by legislation mandating the same. His next step, the article says, was to rewrite a Virginia Department of Education model policy that forced young children to share bathrooms, locker rooms, overnight facilities, and athletic competitions with members of the opposite sex. So this policy that he's developed prohibits discrimination and harassment of all students. It requires parents consent to counseling services pertaining to gender. Uh, mandates that overnight travel accommodations, locker rooms, and other intimate spaces be based on sex with reasonable modifications to the extent required by federal law. So those kinds of things he is doing to restore parental rights. Now what I want to do in the rest of today's episode is to explain why that is not what he's doing. And it has to do with a concept that is largely not familiar to Christians anymore. In fact, If you had asked me, oh, say three years ago, if I understood this concept, I would have given a nebulous, hazy sort of answer, hoping it was enough right that I didn't look stupid, but I really wasn't sure. Now, I'm trusting my audience is a lot smarter than I am, and so for many of you, this will be, I hope, redundant, but I hope in that sense for you, it is encouraging and reinforcing, but for those of you who are are like I was maybe three years ago, I hope this will be particularly insightful as to why the governor is not restoring parental rights and really can't do anything to restore parental rights simply by passing laws that say parents have the right to do this or to do that or schools don't have the permission to do this or to do that without the consent of parents. Now for those of you who are in Tennessee or maybe in some other states that are looking at laws dealing with uh, transgender procedures available to minors, Matt Walsh blew that up at Vanderbilt University uh, you know, a week or so ago that Vanderbilt was performing surgeries that altered, removed, forever impaired the reproductive organs of minor children who were probably at least pubescent. And Vanderbilt's response was that it was not doing anything unethical because it had obtained the consent of the child's parents. Now that would seem to be parental rights, right? And in this case, the parents are exercising parental rights in the context of their home with their own child, and this is not taking place in the public school, per se, where the government is. So how do we make sense of this? How do we say, yes, we believe in parental rights, but no, not those parental rights? And this is where we have to understand the nature of the problem that we face so that we'll understand the nature of the building blocks that will be required to actually restore parental rights, to actually say, parents, you you can't consent to the removal of your daughter's uterus or your son's genitalia. Now, to help me explain this concept that I mentioned a moment ago that I hadn't fully grasped uh, three years ago and, and to appreciate its fundamental importance, I want to play a clip for you from a podcast that I listen to regularly called The Theology Podcast. You can find it at any of the various places you find podcasts. It's also on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, which is where I found it. And to describe a little bit about what the, the podcast is, is, here's how they explain it. It's a podcast featuring Dr. Thomas Price, Dr. Glenn Sunshine, and C.R. Wiley, recorded at The Corner Pug, a well-known watering hole in West Hartford, Connecticut. And it's described by them as three overeducated reform guys riffing on philosophy, theology, and stuff that bugs them. And it's it's really delightful and I learn a lot from them. And the clip I want to play today is an introduction by one of the three co-hosts, this one Dr. Thomas Price, for the topic of the day. And he is speaking here of an article that was written by a person related to the concept I'm gonna talk about. I don't remember the name of the person who wrote the article he's referencing. But he's he's trying to speak to the shock that people are facing in America with things like what I've described. That what you're telling me, the smart, educated people at Vanderbilt are removing a young girl's uterus or her breasts and they think it's OK and it's ethical because the parents consented to it, that we've got boys who are now in girls' locker rooms. What, what's going on? And so he, he speaks to that immediately and why that is the case. And I hope you'll find this very helpful.
1: And so what one begins to see now is almost interpretations of life and reality that are so off-centered. It's sending shell shock into people who have some familiarity of classic Christianity or just culture that was influenced still by some semblance of Christianity. Um, And so we're seeing this, of course, with the redefinitions of just about everything. Right. And and throwing people into a lot of confusion as to how do you even address a world in which you don't have any shared sets Beliefs or assumptions, and so one of the things he's trying to address here is that one of the things that probably didn't help the evangelical world, much less Christianity, is that it developed an allergy to something that probably was one of its greatest um, assets, and because of that, it basically found itself weakened by keeping that allergy and not treating it and so one of the things he starts out with he goes starting in the early 20th century many protestant theologians developed an allergy to metaphysics that is the study of being as being now what in the world is that and why is that even significant The fact that we have to ask that question shows that we're part of that tradition that has an allergy to metaphysics, Um, (laughs) that people don't know how to talk about being or human being or the being of God anymore. We tend to talk more of history and historical action. Of course, you know, those are important, but we don't talk much about natures, um, what things are. And what is consistent with enacting what those things are? What does it mean to be a human? And what actions are consistent with what being a human is? What actions are not consistent with being what a human is? That would be a metaphysical way of looking at the human being. We're not used to doing that.
0: Okay. Now, he said several things that are really important here. The first of which I think is uh, what we're going to have to deal with is how do you address people when there are no shared concepts anymore? Now, what I think he's really referring to here, and if I'm mistaken, you know, bad on me, is metaphysics, and that's what I didn't quite grasp. Uh, the The word would would tend to mean beyond physics. Okay, that would that would be more than physics. And and so it is looking at what um, Dr. Price referred to as natures. What does it mean to be human? And that is important because once you know what you are, you know what you are for, what is consistent with being human. Now I've given an example before about all things are normed by laws established by God that inform their being. And there's a, a law, let's just say, of, of rockness, that rocks come about because of certain things, right, uh, mud, pressure, I don't, I don't know, I'm not a geologist, but rocks are great for building roads, they're great for clobbering somebody over the head, uh, knocking on the window from down below for Juliet to come hang out, but they're not very good for eating right? So when you know what the nature of a rock is, then you can know what it's for, and you don't eat them. Okay. That, I, I know you're thinking, David, that's such a bad example, but pardon me, I'm just a regular old sort of guy here. And that's what he's talking about. And when you no longer believe in metaphysics, you no longer really believe that anything has a given nature that is really true to what it is, and that's why we can't communicate with one another because the other person's metaphysic even though they don't realize they have one is not ours and what he was saying is we don't really even know what ours is which is why we're jolted when somebody says that Mike can become Micah and swim against Leah at the college swimming event or the high school swimming event or that Jennifer can have her uterus removed with the consent of her parents and become James. We're shocked by that when we should not be if we understood that there is no shared metaphysic out there. Now, we're really talking about their cosmology and creation, given, as I said, that God has been kicked out of his cosmos he's therefore been kicked out of law, metaphysics as a category of, of contention and discussion and debate and working out doesn't really exist. We just have blown past it. And so all we can talk about is that a girl has reproductive organs. But see, that's, that's just a materialistic look at material differences between a boy and a girl. But the concept of boy and girl, man and woman, has no givenness, no true nature. And so I would say even lovingly to Matt Walsh that while a woman is a female who can have babies, we also have to understand that a woman is the kind of human being that corresponds to a man. That we can't really understand fully what a woman is, the nature of woman, and, and, and the importance and the reasons of the reproductive organs until we put those in the context of the correspondence of male. And so what we see here is a beautiful diversity of male and female yet with a correspondence not only of body parts but of functions and offices within the nature of creation that correspond to one another that made it a unity. I hope that makes sense. That's why we're jarred when we hear a man introduce another man as his husband. That's what Dr. Price is talking about. It sort of jars us. Wait a minute, that, that can't be your husband. Because see, the word husband only has meaning because there's a a created cosmology of the nature of beings as male and female and a truth about the nature of marriage such that husband can only be understood in correspondence to the word wife and wife can only be understood in correspondence to the word husband and there is a unity in that diversity. And we have two samenesses and no diversity. In other words, a man can never have a husband with a Christian metaphysic it would be like saying a triangle can have four sides it it's just no it, it, it triangle doesn't have four sides a man can't have a husband he can have a lover he can have a partner he can have a friend he can have sex with somebody but he can't have a husband because the meaning of that word achieves its fullness only in the context of a marital relationship with the corresponding woman female so here's why this is important to the issues that have raised you may be saying okay david i got that but what does that have to do with parental rights what does it have to do with the situation at Vanderbilt? and this is it if there is no created order by which god has defined all of the facts of that order The nature of all being within the created order and define the nature of the relationships within that created order, well then there can be no parental rights. Parent is just a word that we give to those relationships we imbue and impute by our own words meaning. Now, again, this this may sound like, David, you're, you're talking crazy stuff, but we live in a crazy world and you've got to understand the crazy world we live in. Parent today means something on the order of persons who have care and custody of a child, but that doesn't address the question of why should a person have care and custody of a child? And what is the nature of that relationship beyond simply care and custody and what informs what care is or custody would mean. You see, if you don't have these creational metaphysical, cosmologically created metaphysical constructs, n- nothing holds together. So what Youngkin is doing is saying, we are giving you parental rights when the Christian would say, no, I already have them, thank you. They are in the nature of the, the relationship that exists between a man who has fathered a child and the mother who has birthed the child. The statutes can affirm what already exists, but it can't grant parental rights, can't create parental rights. They already are. The problem you get into with bills like those in Virginia Is when the legislature doesn't spell out the cause of the ground for the parental right it would appear as if the rights just come abstractly from the mind of the politician who can get a majority of votes for x or y or z but couldn't get enough for a or b so parental rights are grounded in a positive law not in anything that's real that's true that precedes any enactment by the legislature. So by passing a statute, you can at best only affirm and clarify what the parental rights are, but you don't create them and in in a sense you don't restore them because they, they really can't be lost. For them to be lost means that your law is unjust and contrary to what is true about the nature of the world and the universe. In these metaphysical categories of parent and child. Now let's look at the situation at Vanderbilt. What I'm trying to do here in Tennessee as I talk to legislators is convince them that they have to make clear in the bill itself in their legislative findings which are statements contained in a bill in which the legislature says we find this we find this we find that and therefore we now have these operative provisions that prohibit this kind of surgery and prohibit parents from consenting to it. I'm trying to help them understand they have to clarify why the parent cannot consent to this kind of procedure. Now you might say, well, David, gosh, uh, are you calling into question the laws that say parents can't uh, you know, burn their kids with cigarettes as a matter of discipline or Parents can't give their kids cocaine and heroin. I mean, are you saying all these, these laws that, that say parents can't, can't do these things that, that somehow, I mean, what, what are you saying? Well, let me, let me explain that. What I am saying here is that in 2015, when the United States Supreme Court issued its decision in Obergefell versus Hodges about same-sex marriage, the predicate for that decision on which its analysis rested that states can no longer have statutes that define marriage in terms of man and woman was the opening sentence of the opinion, which is the humanist version of Genesis 1-1 declaring their cosmology. The court said, the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, which would be parents and children, right, to certain rights within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. In other words, there is no given order or nature or any metaphysical categories to reality. We are autonomous monads who have to determine for ourselves what our identity is and have the freedom to express it. Now, the court put some caveats in there and they said, Well, it's certain rights. Well, we know one of those is to a marriage license. Bob and Fred can get a marriage license. But what other rights are there? I don't know. Uh, We're going to see when we pass these laws that prohibit uh, parents from consenting to their minor child's transgender surgeries. It says, what's the lawful realm? Well, there's obviously a lawful realm, but that's going to be controlled as well as the rights that exist by the United States Supreme Court. So you see, what's going to happen here is some state's going to go pass a law and say, well, you can't do this any more than you could consent to, you know, having sex with your own child or, or using your child for prostitution or burning your child with cigarettes. It just makes sense. You can't do that. Well, my friends, those who are thinking that way are overlooking the nature of the cosmos we live in. And we're overlooking the fact that constitutional liberty now is perceived by the Supreme Court as self-identity and self-expression. And so to pass a bill that says you can't do this is to deny the child a constitutional liberty. Your response might be, well, David, wait a minute. The Supreme Court's always treated children a little bit differently with constitutional rights and in certain environments. And I, I don't know that the court is willing to say that there's a right to transgenderism in children, maybe in adults, but but at least not to minors. Yeah, but then you're gonna run into another problem, and this goes back to what I said at the, the beginning of the podcast, parental rights. You see, when the parent is holding their child out as a prostitute, or giving them heroin, or burning them with cigarettes, there is no constitutional protection for that child. The child doesn't have a constitutional right to not be put out for prostitution by his parents, burned with cigarettes, or given heroin. No, the state recognizes that each person has private rights to their health, body, life, limbs, their reputation, the right of personal security at the common law, one of the three fundamental rights, and therefore for the state to be just, it must enact criminal laws that prevent those things. You see what I'm saying now? So in other words, parent wants to put their child out for prostitution, they can do it, but the state says, wait a minute, that's, that's contrary to the nature of a parent-child relationship. See, now we're getting into natures, right? Um, giving your kid heroin that could cause him to be a drug addict is, uh, that doesn't square with what we think of as the nature of a parent-child relationship, but see what I've just referred to? Natures. The nature of a parent-child relationship. Well there is no given nature anymore. That's the point. We don't believe in that. Not at the highest levels of our government and our highest levels of the Supreme Court. So somewhere along the way a legislative body or a Governor Yunkin has to assert in the bill that these rights exist for parents in public schools because of the nature of the relationship between a parent and a child. And when it comes to Parents consenting to transgender surgeries it is contrary to the nature of the relationship between a parent and child so for example I've offered to some legislators this language to put as a finding in the bills they're drafting to deal with Vanderbilt it says it is the duty of parents to protect the personal security of their minor child personal security is a term of legal art found within the common law which is the right of every person to be secure in their life, their limbs, their bodies, their health, and their reputation. I spell that out in the bill as well. And to consent on behalf of a minor child to procedures that could reasonably lead to dysfunction in and disordering of the healthy functioning of those parts of a child's anatomy naturally directed toward the reproductive act and the kind of relationship the child's parents enjoy is beyond the natural and lawful jurisdiction of a parent in relation to his or her child. Now, that's a mouthful, so let let me just break it down. In other words, you have a 13-year-old whose reproductive organs are growing as they are supposed to, and to toward what they're naturally directed. So see, I'm throwing in this concept of nature, that it is part of our nature to be reproductive. To not be reproductive is contrary to nature. I mean, that's, that's why we have all these fertility doctors. They're trying to overcome what wasn't given to the person naturally that they should have had. So you're disordering the person. But with respect to the parent, the parent who consents to the removal of their child's reproductive organs is depriving their child of the ability to have the very kind of relationship from which parental rights comes. you got the benefit of having healthy reproductive organs so that you might be a parent to a child, and you can't deprive your child of that same relationship inherent in the nature of the procreative act. That is restoring parental rights. That is restoring the concept of natures. That is restoring the concept of metaphysical categories. That is pointing towards creation which points to God. And that's what we must begin to do if we're going to build back the western legal tradition which is rooted in a cosmology that says God has created the world, a soteriology that directs it towards its reclamation and salvation to an eschatology that finishes what God began. That's our first episode. That's our first lesson on the building block we must reestablish if we're going to restore the ruins of the Western legal tradition. And I hope you'll join me next week episode number two if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the podcast and if you want to help spread the word please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too god law and liberty is available on apple Podcasts, spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts for more information please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. that's f-a-c-tennessee.org and please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at BackTennessee. Tennessee.